Welcome to the Dealmakers Coffee Break, where we talk to industry pros about their success stories, deals, and market insights in just enough time for you to enjoy a cup of coffee. So grab your mug and join us for a chat with the people behind the deals. I'm Asaf Raz. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Dealmakers Coffee Break Edition. Today I have with me Noah Pape. He's the principal at Peregrine Land Investments. And let me tell you something, this guy is so interesting. When I asked him what is the topic you want to talk about in the podcast, he says, use of technology and machine learning in real estate investment. And obviously the Texas mega region, which we're going to get to later, they have a very special approach when it comes to real estate investments. And I'm not going to go any further. So Noah, please take it away. Tell us about yourself, about Peregrine, and we can continue the conversation from there. Sure. So I'll give the uh, the quick background on myself. You know, my attraction really to the world, the investment world, and really the use of data and technology in the investment world starts with kind of my interest in sports analytics back when I was a kid. So I was the, I guess the kind of kid who, instead of watching people ask me to this day about, did you see this Disney movie or that Disney movie? I was busy, you know, I, I, I can't tell you, you know, a random Disney movie, but I can tell you the random score or the game, the score of a random game back in, you know, 2008. The reason I was really attracted to sports analytics is because it was a way to really use data to construct a roster or squad under constraints and to do it in a differentiated way that would allow you to really gain an edge using, using data. So when I, you know, when it came time to actually make decisions in my professional life, it became clear to me that there was the field of sports analytics was still and still today is in its um, early days. And there was a lot more professional opportunity in the business world. So when I started looking at investing, I could see the same parallels. It was let's use data, alternative data under constraints. You know, you've got, you know, constraints on what you can invest in. You've got constraints, constraints on how much capital you can deploy, et cetera to construct a roster or portfolio in the case of the investment world um, of assets where you've got a differentiated view. So that's what really drove me to the investment world. And then inside that, you know, I spent a little bit of time working at a quant hedge fund, a little bit of time working in private equity. I thought that the best place to do it was somewhere where, you know, you really, really got an edge using the data. And that's what drove me to land, you know, is taking some of those, those, I guess, techniques seen in quantitative finance and applying them in the private markets, and in particular with land, a private market that's very opaque, very fragmented, and has a lot more important data points than a lot of other you know, pieces of finance or areas of finance. Mm-hmm. That's actually interesting. I've never heard of this kind of, well, I've heard of approaches of tech-enabled land investments when people are using things like CoStar or Sherry or whatever data platforms that they have for real estate, but I've never heard of this kind of approach of doing it yourself. I'd love to hear more about that. Like, How do, how do you actually do that? Definitely. So I think, um, you know, Aguilera is a perfect example of where technology has actually been brought in to increase operational efficiency. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the first frontier of the use of technology in real estate and in the investment world is let's, you know, let's, let's go ahead and make our operations more efficient. If we spend less time on that. We can spend more time looking at deals. We can see more deals and therefore you know, we're going to be able to see more of the best deals. Mm-hmm. I think the second frontier beyond that is, you know, let's aggregate with stuff like what CoStar is doing, mm-hmm. other platforms. You're taking all the important data points on the investment side 
aggregating them into a single place. And it's kind of in a way increasing the operational efficiency of the investment side of your your real estate organization. Mm-hmm. Like this decision making, strategy, deciding on the piece of land you want to go into, um, researching the market. Exactly. Is that correct? Exactly. So that's where, you know, we that was kind of where we started with building our platform was, you know, instead of having to go to especially with land where it's a very visual process, you're constantly looking at different data points on a map, instead of having to go find the property on whatever listing website, go to 12 different mapping applications to, you know, get this data here and this data here, and it takes forever. It's hard to make apples to apples uh, mm-hmm. sense. We put that all into one place. Mm-hmm. That was the second frontier is really just data aggregation, data compilation. The third where I spend most of my time is now that we've got all this data, how can we use machine learning to um, help us not only be more efficient, but really and truly make better decisions. That's where I think a lot of the value comes in because, you know, if you think about our goal as an investment organization is to do the best deals in the entire space of mm-hmm. Texas Lane. So being more efficient, both operationally, allows us to see more deals. Being more efficient with our investment organization and that side of the firm allows us to, you know, be able to review more deals but at the end of the day, we need technology, we need data, we need additional pieces of analysis that we can generate that allow us to actually identify what is a good deal. Mm-hmm. So that's how we think of it. Like we want to be able to see as many deals as we can, but then within that, we want to be able to build build technology, build resources that allow us to discern, you know, what is the best deal on the market versus the tenth versus the thousand. Mm-hmm. And and this is taking into consideration, I assume, many data many data points that you are able to bring into the system, correct? Exactly, exactly. And I think that's an interesting part of land versus other real estate mm-hmm. asset classes. Mm-hmm. Is when you're looking at if you're buying a, a nearly stabilized apartment or office, you know, you're looking at okay, how much is this going to cash flow? What are the cap rates, et cetera? And it's kind of a very clear process for how to evaluate an investment. With land, an undeveloped plan, if it's not something that's immediately developable, making that same kind of analysis mm-hmm. is hard, really understanding how should I value this piece of land. On one hand, you can you know, use the comps and do a relative valuation like that. Or you can say, you know, I know that a developer will be able to buy this in three years. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, understanding that they need to get whatever percent IRR, they're going to be able to pay this much for it in three years. But both of those are pretty opaque mm-hmm. um, and not as truthful valuation, not as, um, I guess, grounded valuation yeah. processes. Yeah. And that's where machine learning is so powerful is that when you're apply, building a machine learning model, it's kind of like building a theoryless model. It doesn't need to understand, you know, there's a clear theory for valuing real estate, but it doesn't necessarily apply as well to land. And so that's why machine learning mm-hmm. is so valuable um, in land specifically. Explain to me a little bit about your strategy. I mean, you've built, it feels like you've found your asset class, right? But you said like, this is not enough for me because it's not, it's no longer this, I would say older or more traditional market where people say, let me smell like, is it, is it, is it a good deal? I'm going to take it right. It's, it's something different. Like your, your approach is very um, special in that way. And your asset class is extremely special um, when we look at other GPs we've been talking to. So can you de- dive a little bit into your strategy specifically when you talk about investments and what deals you go into and why you go into them, putting aside data sure. and, and AI that tells you 
there's a good potential there. Absolutely. And I think it's important before I jump into this to say, it is still a very human-driven process. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, the technology exists to make us better, make us more efficient. But you know, we're never going to, maybe one day we'll get to the point where you know, it's like a quant hedge fund where it's spitting out buy and sell signals on pieces of land, but we're not going to get there. And part of that is just because the data is so disparate and a lot of very important pieces of data, you, you can't really capture until you pick up the phone and call the broker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have that happen all the time where our system will spit out and say, hey, you got to go look at this piece of property. It's clearly underpriced. It's in the path of growth and it's got great features for development. I'll pick up the phone, call the broker. There's a conservation easement. Mm. Um, no wonder it's a third of the price that it would be otherwise. So we run into stuff like that all the mm. time. What I'd say about really what we're doing is we're trying to play in a space where the land is transitioning from really agricultural and recreational uses to something that is attractive to a developer or a home builder. Residential uses are the largest consumer of land on a really an acreage basis. And generally, they'll be one of the first users when it comes to going to a new fringe market. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to space as that market is transitioning and becoming something that's catching the eye of a developer. Mm-hmm. The thing that we differently is we don't actually do any development ourselves. You know, we'll maintain or maybe do some light entitlement work, but we're not doing any any sort of development. We'll do some mm-hmm. paper improvements. So what we'll do instead is, you know, we'll buy the land. And then we'll work with developers and relationships that, you know, me being much younger that come from my partners who are twice our mm-hmm. twice my age mm-hmm. is a very interesting organizational dynamic. So they've got these great relationships with home builders and developers. We'll buy the piece of land. We'll go to the t- home builders and developers, you know, get it under contract mm-hmm. with them, give them the time and allow them to come in and do the work to, um, you know, get the piece of land shovel ready or start building on it. Because they oftentimes, you know, especially in markets like today, home builders are being punished for having large land positions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of developers don't have the capital, the long-term capital to go out and tie up some of these land positions. So where that long-term capital, I mean, we think we're helping solve a problem. There's massive housing shortages, um, as sure your, your guests have talked mm-hmm. about across the broader United States, but especially in Texas. I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to get better anytime soon. So we're solving that problem by allowing these home builders, developers that don't have access to long-term capital, the ability to go out, put a piece of land under contract, start doing the work on it mm-hmm. without actually, you know, ha- basically being able to do some off-balance sheet entitlement work. Mm-hmm. Um, since I've access to the capital, we do. And that's how we kind of fit into this broader residential and, and home building space. And you still say uh, the owners of the land, I assume, right? Exactly. And we're very flexible. You know, the structure mm-hmm. will change deal to deal. But in general, you know, we're we're the ones who are, you know, and sometimes we'll one thing we'll do is, you know, since we're buying the the raw land and we've got very flexible, very patient capital, mm-hmm. um, we can buy deals where maybe if you bought the whole deal, it, it wouldn't fit entirely into an industrial or mm-hmm. multifamily user. Doesn't fit perfectly into a single family user, but we can buy it you know, work with a single family user on one side, work with, you know, the commercial builder on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that allows us to, you know, drive some value creation and take advantage of our flexible patient capital that a lot of other people in the space don't have. So I'm looking at, this is, this is great. Like I've, I've, I've never heard anything that special. And the way that you differentiate yourself is very special. 
I'm looking at the, and, and this is to the other topic, right? We're talking about the mega region in yeah. called Texas. And I'm looking at your website, there's this map. And we all know the, the you know, we're looking at Texas as a whole and we see Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, and San Antonio, which are what we call the primary markets of Texas, right? So they would be like the centric parts of Texas. And then when we go from primary to secondary and ter tertiary markets, this is where all of the, a lot of the medium sized, small, medium sized partners or firms focus on buying those pieces of, of land that are already some somehow developed and they just need to upgrade them. From what I understand, you're not looking at the secondary and tertiary. You're actually looking into beyond that. You're looking into where the land would expand in the near future, or maybe a little bit longer future. Does that make sense? That is a great way to describe it. And I think the, to give an example of how we really thought about it, because we, you know, Texas is such a massive state and, you know, we can't go out and buy something in super rural West Texas and then buy something in downtown Austin. And all LPs would be very confused as to what they're buying into. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, you know, the profiles of those two investments are very different. So we challenged ourselves to let's actually, you know, since we are such a technology data driven organization, Let's use data to define our, our investment region. So we, what we really did there is we looked at the population change in the last 10 years in Texas and looked at the amount of land that was actually developed to support that population change. Mm -hmm. And then we took the population projections over the next 10 years, applied that ratio of essentially how much land needs to be developed per new person, figured out the, the scale of land that needed to be developed, just, you know, comes out to unsurprisingly, really, something around, you know, a third of an acre per new person that's coming. Mm -hmm. Then applied that basically, we took the profile or the, the profile of the existing cities, applied that additional acreage, and that's how we defined our investment area. Wow. Wow. This is so special. Again, we're two tech guys. We're both data oriented. So it really helps having this type of conversations for me, at least. And I also see that it's so deep the way that you built your strategies. Like even when you talk about, for example, Austin, right? You talk about high-tech centers that are outside of California. And when you talk about San Antonio, you realize that it talks about military service, health research centers as a link between US and Mexico. And in Houston, you go into the world capital of energy and you talk about more energy and trading. And in Dallas-Fourth Worth, you're talking about like the center of finance and, and shipping, transportation, real estate. It's like you identified asset classes within the asset class and took a more of a, a broader perspective of what can, how can we make money long-term? I love it. It's genius the way I see it. And that's, that's one of the things we love about Texas is, and especially the Texas triangle is the four economies are so diversified and they're mm -hmm. different from one each other. drivers that are driving each of those local economies. And so that means that, you know, when you're investing in real estate through a fund structure, you're getting exposure to 12, 15, 20 different assets. There is real value in that diversification across the Texas Triangle. In addition, it means that the Texas Triangle is one of the few regions of the country that can truly support full scope of um, relocation activities that you know have been a big theme in the post-COVID world. Especially in, the, especially in Dallas. I've been to Dallas at IMN. I talked about this in a different episode, but if you know IMN, I've been there. I remember I was sleeping maybe 15 minutes away from the hotel where, where the event was hosted. I was walking outside my hotel was like an Airbnb and the area wasn't right. very developed. My building was very developed, but the entire area wasn't. And as, as I was walking to the venue, the, the landscape changed, you know, it changed on me. Right. 
So I kind of felt like I exactly. felt this, I felt this change coming. It's, it's, wow, it's beautiful. Exactly. And that drives on the, on I-35, when you go from San Antonio to Dallas, mm-hmm. I had to do it because of a flight change just this past weekend, five and a half hours up I-35. And it almost feels like it's gotten to the point where there's no land left on I-35, mm-hmm. but it's not that it's definitely that way between Austin and San Antonio. And if yeah. you ask me, 15 years, it's going to be the same way between Austin and Dallas. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So this is what we call this part of the episode. They're short. We have to keep them short. But this is what we call the shameless plug, right? This is the place for you to say, this is me. This is Peregrine. This is what we're looking for today. If you want to hop on the wagon, this is the time. So, right. So here's your shameless plug. Let us know what you're looking for. Absolutely. Well, I think, um, you know, I'd put it into three categories. One is any sort of uh, people that have an interest on really how can technology be used in real estate and really driving the investment process. Reach out to us. We know that there's a lot of firms that will talk about their tech and tech-driven approach um, and maybe don't deliver on it. We pride ourselves on our ability to deliver on that. So, you know, if it's something that interests you, talk to us. If you're interested in getting exposure to Texas Triangle and really learning more about that market, especially a lot of investors who are abroad have great interest in this region, mm-hmm. don't necessarily have as great of an opportunity to really learn more about it. So second, if you're interested in learning more about the Texas Triangle, reach out to us. And then third, you know, we think we fill a pretty unique space that's actually driving a true impact on the housing shortage. And so if any of those three things interest you and the strategy itself interests you, please reach out to us. You know, if we're doing a closing on our fund in, in a couple of mm-hmm. weeks, but then we'll continue raising throughout the the next 12 months. Um, so there's obviously opportunities there as well as, you know, just as we think about going beyond Texas in the future, there's plenty of opportunities and hopefully a need for even more capital to support some of the other markets that have similar dynamics with, you know, great secular migration trends and massive housing shortages. That's great. Noah Pape, thank you so much for being on this episode. I loved every second of it. And yeah, we'll see you in the next episode of the Dealmakers Coffee Break. Thank you so much, Noah. Thank you for joining us. Check out more episodes on the Dealmakers podcast available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, and Agora's website at agorareal.com slash podcast. See you in the next episode.